we want to welcome everybody to the midseason blog talk radio NBA trade deadline all-star break bonanza roundtable. My name is Kevin Rafuse. I am the host of the Driving Dish NBA podcast. I am going to be moderating this roundtable tonight. We are part of the 16 Wins a Ring Network, hosted by Blog Talk Radio. You can follow me on Twitter at Refuse to Lose. And we've got five people part of this roundtable tonight. Just an excellent all-star panel. So I want to introduce everybody first. First up, you hear him with me on the Driving Dish NBA podcast. He is my co-host, Tim Tompkins. He's also the host of the Solar Panel, a Phoenix Suns podcast, part of the Almighty Baller Podcast Network. You can follow him on Twitter at Radio Tim NBA. And uh, Tim, you know, it's uh, fancy seeing you here. What a strange coinkitting. It's almost as if we didn't see each other just a few hours ago. Well, ball don't lie. Second, we have Chris Axman. He is the host of the Almighty Ballin' NBA show, founder of the Almighty Baller Podcast Network at AlmightyBaller.com. And you can check him out on Twitter at Almighty Ballin'. Chris, what's going on, man? Not much. Uh, I just felt like coming on this podcast was an offer I couldn't refuse. <laughs> you know, Chris, if I had a dollar for every time I heard a pun off that, I probably wouldn't have to be podcasting right now. <laughs> Chris has been on our show, the Driving to Shen NBA podcast, two or three times. And each time, I don't know really know why it's worked this way, but I haven't been available. So, Chris, it's nice to actually, you know, have you on an episode where I'm here. Oh, especially because you're my favorite host of the Drive a Dish podcast. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be our little secret, though. We don't need to tell anybody. There, there, there doesn't need to be anybody else who's listening. And, and Justin's out here somewhere. You, we, can, we can pretend he's behind the boards, keeping us honest, as always. Third on the list joining us, we have Jason Mann. He's the host of the Over and Back Classic NBA podcast. Also part of the Step Back on Fansided.com. Jason, how are you tonight, man? Doing great. Uh, thanks for having me. And I would be surprised if we go through without, without any kind of pun on my last name. Well, the night is young, my friend. Um, we are only, I think, four minutes now into this. So uh, I'm sure we can sneak one in. It shouldn't be too difficult. Next up on the list, we have Brand Kinchelo. He's the host of the Golden State of Mind cast here on Blog Talk Radio. Also, check out goldenstateofmind.com. So he's checking in from the West Coast. Brand, what's going on, man? I'm good, man. How are you? Oh, not too bad. I'm, uh, you know, being a Warriors fan, I, I imagine that's a real tough business right now. <laughs> well, the funny thing is, and we'll get into this later, I'm sure, but it's strange to have people like talk business about being a Warriors fan and it being a, a, a sad thing to be. And yet the last 20 years have just been the worst of all time. So it, it's definitely a strange place to be. It's all about where you are right now. We are here in 2017 and Certainly nothing to complain about there. But last but not least, we have Sean Anderson joining us. He's representing the Fast Break podcast. Also got to check out mostvaluablepodcast.com. And so, Sean, I'm pretty sure that's Big Sean's name as well. So do you get many Big Sean jokes? No, I don't get any Big Sean jokes. Actually, people usually just say it's seen. Just completely butcher my first name. So thanks for really? A lot of a lot of in grammar school, I got a lot of scene, but not a lot of big Sean references. You know, that's I feel like with that form of Sean, that's pretty common. I mean, I, am I am I wrong for that? Am I wrong for thinking that? I think people just usually like day Sean, like, you know, the S-H-A-W-N. I think people usually take that as Sean because it's easier to phonetically see because people say yeah. the S-E-A and say C. Oh, well, either way, we're uh, we're sticking it right here. So Sean Anderson, like you said, Fast Break Podcast, my most valuable podcast.com. Check that out. We got a jam-packed show. We are, um, as we are recording this, we are a few hours away from the trade deadline. 
All-Star Weekend has just passed. And, you know, the beauty of the timing is this episode is a lot of different things are going down tonight. You know, uh, one topic we were talking about before we started recording this that just happened. Lou Williams has been traded to the Rockets. Terms are still coming out with that. We're not going to go too heavy into that. But the big news that I want to get into that happened just a few hours before we really start recording, uh, big-time news out of Lakerland, uh, really Game of Thrones-esque. Mitch Kupchak and Jim Buss are out of Lakers management. Magic Johnson is in the fold. Jeannie Buss really flexing her power right now. Um, you know, she's really had the ability to do this for a while, and we've seen the you know kind of rumors of this going back and forth. But really interesting timing coming around the trade deadline. So, Chris, I want to start out with you. You know, like we said, Magic Johnson coming into the fold, obviously a big part of Laker lore and and Laker history. But this will be the first time he's really kind of had this position in the basketball world. So, I guess what were your initial reactions to this upheaval in Lakerland? Well, so I don't think it's very Game of Thrones at all. I think she was really patient with her brother. The time window, there was this point where um, her brother said that, you know, if we're not contending within a year, then I'll step aside. And that sort of turned into, well, but when does that clock start? And when does that calendar end? And is that going to be one year or two or three? And, you know, finally, I feel like what happened actually is that we saw – and specifically, I think Jeannie saw the Lakers whiff on yet another chance or maybe personally like say, OK, fine, we'll pass on Boogie. And she was just like, are you kidding me? And, and that's basically the reaction that everyone else in the NBA had. Right. Is that it sounds like what would have done it is probably Clarkson and Randall and um, that one Euro center that they drafted in the second round last year and a first rounder. A couple of years from now, that probably would have done it. I would rather have that than Buddy Heald. They'd have a center at their weakest position. So um, I, I think that she was patient. I think that the move needed to happen. And now we have to see if Irvin, um, if Magic Johnson's Twitter takes are, uh, <laughs> are things that he really believes that he's not just trying to stir the pot. Well, that's the thing, and the beauty of the internet, which just remains undefeated, is people have already started digging up all of Magic Johnson's tweets. To which Chris oh, I tweeted first. four of them. If you want me to read them, please, by all because my favorite one that I've seen so far is when Michael Carter Williams was traded to the Bucks. He <laughs> said that they just acquired the new Jason Kidd. Nineteenth of February, twenty fifteen, the Bucks just acquired the next Jason Kidd and Michael Carter Williams. Twentieth of March, twenty eleven. For all of you out there questioning Jimmer Fredette of BYU, he is the real deal. Uh, hashtag men care. Uh, wait, hashtag what? what? Men, men care. Men, men care. Like, I don't understand that. I don't either. It's fine. Just don't think about it. That's some Illuminati stuff right there. <laughs> 31st of October, 2016. I'm impressed with the Chicago Bulls starting Rondo, Butler, and Wade. And with Michael Carter-Williams coming off the bench, they have the third best group of guards in the league. Um 18th of March, 2014. Congrats to Knicks owner Jim Dolan and GM Steve Mills on bringing a champion and winner like Phil Jackson. Oh boy! Oh, oh God! That uh, yeah, Phil Jackson not not going as well as they would have imagined. There, there was another one too where he said something like, "Laker fans, our number one free agent target should be Kevin Durant," and just just start laughing at the sheer just. Thanks, Magic, of that. And, and so with that, I'll kick it to the Warriors fan, Bram. You know, do you have faith in Magic? Or are we just laughing at his tweets? And is he just getting these tweets off? You know, how do you think he's going to do in this role? So I have a couple of different things here. So 
Um, I actually live in New York City. I live in Brooklyn. Um, even though I write for Golden State of Mind, and I'm a huge, you know, I grew up in the Bay Area, and I'm a huge Warriors fan, and I, you know, cover the team and et cetera. Um, but so I've actually, I have a like kind of an interesting perspective in that I've seen, I've seen Phil Jackson come into New York City, and I've, I've sort of like witnessed that progression from him being the savior to him being just the, the most reviled person in the city, maybe outside of uh, Dolan. Um, so that being said, like when Phil first showed up in New York, the thought was that, well, he, he's obviously going to be able to get these, these all-star, like, you know, free agents, you know, people are going to find, you know, the, the Durant's and the LeBron's and all those guys, they're finally going to take, at least take meetings with the Knicks and like, at least come to, you know, you know, have these, have these situations. And, and that just didn't happen. And I, I think that that's a that's a deeper thing that's happening within the league in that you know like the the Lakers and the Knicks that you know two of the premier franchises in our league are no longer uh just guaranteed meetings with these these sort of um all-star players you know and so is magic then the question is is magic going to be able to get meetings with you know players of Durant's caliber or players of LeBron's caliber you know down the road so and and I don't know. I don't I think like uh Magic might have a better chance than Phil, but if Phil couldn't do it in New York, there's definitely no guarantee that Magic will be able to do it in LA and I think that it's it's almost destined to fail given the current climate of the NBA and the way that teams have been able to successfully build with with being smart and like making small moves and sort of working from within and like hi- the the splash hire and hiring somebody like Magic or hiring somebody like Phil, it's, it's, I, I feel like it's almost doomed to failure in this day and age. Well, and it's funny you mentioned the free agency meetings. I know the big one, obviously, in recent years where the Lakers just absolutely butchered it was their initial pitch to LaMarcus Aldridge where, you know, they, they essentially had it, you know, a lot of based on history and it didn't seem like they were focused now. And, and so, Jason, I'll ask you, you know, you really take a look back at the league often on over and back. And so I ask you the question, you know, how damaged do you think the Laker brand is at this point? Is, you know, how much can they rely on the past to bring in free agents like this in 2017? It's hard. I, I do think it's it's pretty damaged. I don't think the past, you know, for them matters all that much. I, I do think, though, I, I think there's a chance that if Magic Johnson is more of there for the big picture, there to just bring some stability back to things, there being, you know, political cover for some moves that might be unpopular. And they have someone else smart running the day to day and making those those decisions that, you know, Magic Johnson probably isn't going to be great at making, you know, just with his level of detail of knowledge of the league. But, I, you know, Magic Johnson's been really successful in business. He's smart with people. He obviously is smart about basketball in a certain sense, probably getting some of those some of those intangible qualities in terms of, you know, what kind of leadership he wants, what kind of thing. So I, I do think he can bring value. And I think if he manages in a more of a hands-off, just kind of giving a general vision and giving a general direction and letting, you know, Luke Walton and whoever the general manager is to, you know, to, to kind of bolster the the nuts and bolts and handle the nitty-gritty stuff, I think that situation actually could end up being, you know, pretty okay. Well, and he doesn't necessarily inherit 
the worst situation in the world. Um, a lot of young talent there. It's Angelo Russell, Jordan Clarkson to a lesser extent. He's faded out a bit this year, but nevertheless still in the fold. Um, Julius Randle, Brandon Ingram, the number two overall pick this year. So as he steps into that, you know, really you compare the Lakers to some of these other young cores out there. And Sean, I'll ask you with the situation that he's inheriting right now, you know, how do you think the Lakers stack up relative to some of these other young and up and coming teams like Minnesota, like Philly, like Milwaukee? Well, I think they're in a great position, especially because of the market that they're in. I mean, you look at Los Angeles and obviously, we know, second largest market in the United States. And with Brandon Ingram, the guy that they said was untouchable, I think that's going to be the guy that they're going to look to build around because D'Angelo Russell, Russell, he's been very off and on. He's been a guy that has some character issues that hasn't been able to really get settled in Los Angeles. You look at Clarkson, like you mentioned, he's been struggling. Randall has kind of hit his ceiling. So I look at the Lakers core and I think they're not going to really stick with this young core. I think they're going to keep a couple guys around and maybe use some of these guys as, as role players. But I think the reason they're bringing in magic is to make sure that Los Angeles is in that forefront is in those free agent meetings. And I think that's the reason why when his first move is, is to bring in uh, his GM and Rob Palinka. He's, he's the agent for Kobe. He's the agent for James Harden. And I think they're doing this because they know how to pitch the city and they know how to pitch the market of LA and they know how to pitch the Lakers. So I think that this young core isn't going to be around for too much longer. I don't think Russell's going to be on this team too uh, in, in the near future. And I don't think Clarkson's going to be on this, this team in the near future. I think Ingram's probably the only really true guy that's going to be able to stay around and then whoever they draft this year as well. Tim, I'll pose to you the question. You, know, you just heard Sean there rattling off that he thinks Ingram is the guy to build around and that some of these guys may not be here. You know, Which of these guys in the young core do you think are keepers so far? I don't think you can give up on, on Jordan Clarkson. He might be struggling recently, but I think that the kid's shown a lot of promise. I mean, you look at Julius Randle and, and he seems to be coming into his own, especially from um, you know, from an assist passing perspective but I, I think that if you look at Magic Johnson that he's been in the job one day as of uh, recording this podcast and we can already <laughs> kind of see the moves he's making I mean he traded Lou Williams for a first round pick as as soon as he got there uh, you know obviously they're going to try yeah, and get rid of yeah, some exactly. dead money and and Timothy Mozgov and I, I think look if you're the Lakers that you're going into this uh, this, se- this season when the season's over they could win 25 games and not have their pick and you have a somebody you're bringing in Magic Johnson who the city loves who the NBA loves and he, it's hard for him to do a worse job but I think coming into this season or ending this season I should say and being one a bottom barrel team and quite possibly not having your pick that the Lakers needed to put a smile uh, some sort of happy face on uh, the direction of the franchise and without a move like Magic Johnson I'm not sure that they could have done it otherwise so I, I actually have a question here for you guys how deeply does this reflect on Jeannie at this point because now there's nowhere else to hide you know she can't blame things on Jim she can't blame things on uh, Coop Jack like uh, it's just Jeannie and Magic at this point and so if things don't go well you know, where do the Lakers go from here? Hinky. I mean, I'm always an advocate of Hinky. <laughs> and, and, and I want to mention Hinky a little bit later once we get into Sacramento. But, you know, oh, Lakers God. trust the process. It, you know, it was interesting to listen to all of you guys respond since I went first because I'm a little bit concerned about some of the stuff that you brought up, especially um, the idea that he is going to move away from some of the young players. Um, I, I'm a little bit iffy on a few of them and on other guys I really like. And I feel like we don't have enough of an evidence built up, you know, enough to look at over the course of their very short NBA careers to say, okay, let's hold on to this guy. Let's move on from this guy. And if they start pulling the trigger and bringing in guys like Rudy Gay or, 
you know, just like second rate stars, Carmelo, right? Exactly. Guys like that and pulling the trigger and sending away guys. Um, even if you hold on to the guy who's the most promising, like Brandon Ingram, not even sure if I agree with that. I think that could be a dark path to walk down. I think that, uh, that sounds a little bit like the, uh, the Brooklyn Nets, honestly. What's the over under for how long it takes for LA to turn on magic? I guess I'm not, that's my question. Cause in New York, like, you know, people turn on Phil in about a year and a half, you know, and Phil is like this golden child that walked in. And so like how, you know, LA loves magic. He's, I mean, and magic to his own credit is taking a huge risk here. If he doesn't get it right like that, you know, it could, it could tarnish his whole career there and to a certain extent. So is it's the way that Phil handled everything in New York. It's the way he handled the, you know, the whole Carmelo Anthony thing, because people did make fun of the moves that he made this off season, but people still put him as a playoff team because of the moves he made. So I think magic is going to have time. It's just going to be as long as people see the vision, because you do have Luke Walton, who's going to be a part of some of this personnel stuff. And Bram, you can talk about Jerry West because uh, his son, Ryan's most likely going to be a part of, of magic front office as well. So I think they're going to just try to build up this, this, kind of contingency that magic can go to where magic is going to be like what Jason said, kind of the public figure where you're going to look more towards Ryan West to be the guy that handles the personnel. And we also can't forget, I mean, they're going to have a top three draft pick most likely if they win the lot, if they're, you know, getting into the lottery, because right now they currently sit at three. So if they do keep that position, they're still going to get a guy like Markel Fultz, Lonzo Ball, Josh Jackson, a guy who can really change this franchise around. And and this is a fantastic draft. I mean, I I think that you know, I, I'm just playing devil's advocate because it, it's curious to me, and I, I love talking about this stuff, obviously. But like, you know, I think that they, I think that Genie played her hand really well, and I think Magic obviously played his hand really well, and they're situated to kind of like take advantage of this draft, which is like maybe going to be one of the all-time drafts, hopefully, if these guys all play out. And then the fact that you know, I, I think it's it's nothing but a good thing for the for Lakers that they got rid of Jim, like Kupchak, you know, Mitch. It's like it's hard to. You know, he's been there for so long and he's seen so much success and he's seen so much failure on the back end of it. But like he really, you know, you can't you can't um, get rid of all the success that he had at the same time with Jim. I think it's it's easier to say goodbye to Jim. But at the same time, you know, you know, I'm not you know, I'm a Lakers hater. I'm a, I'm a Warriors fan. So it's just it's funny for me to watch from afar now that the um, the roles have flipped, that the Warriors are seemingly in control and that the Lakers are, you know, struggling to kind of find their identity. And, you know, does Kobe come back? You know, here comes magic here. Genie is taking over the whole game of Thrones thing and everything. So it's just, it, 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 it's great times in the NBA, man. Like the whole thing with DeMarcus cousins and, and everything with, with the Lakers is just, it's fantastic storylines. Dude, it's been a wild week. Well, and that's why I said Tim and I both work in radio. That's how we met each other. And I worked the overnight shift. So usually a lot of times I may not be up as late. But so I was up that Sunday night watching the All-Star game. And, you know, I dozed off a little bit in the second quarter, kind of missed halftime. And then just woke up to the Woj bomb of all Woj bombs. And so, you know, DeMarcus Cousins traded to the Pelicans. He has officially been introduced on the team's Twitter page. He's going to wear number zero, which I think is pretty cool, getting rid of 15. Um, we already know the terms by now. The Really, the big takeaway for the Kings is getting Buddy healed. They also have their first-round pick this year. You know, a few other throw-ins in there that we're not going to get too heavy into. But uh, needless to say, this has been all sorts of scrutinized. And, uh, Tim, I'll start with you because you and I have had many discussions about this. And you have really, really tried to find the bright side of this for the Kings. Like, I commend you with how hard you've tried to find the bright side for the Kings. 
So please tell Kings fans remotely anything that they can hang their hat on. Well, I think if you're looking at it from the Kings' perspective, that they simply they didn't want to pay DeMarcus Cousins $200 million and, and handicap their franchise over the next five years. Not that DeMarcus Cousins would necessarily handicap their franchise, but, I mean, look, you haven't, you haven't won with them. Um, I, I think that they probably could have gotten a little bit more if they would have waited, but, you know, at the end of the day, they were able to uh, shed some salary. They were able to get under the blanket that was DeMarcus Cousins for, you know, since they drafted the guy. Um, they are bringing in Buddy Heald. He's only three years younger than DeMarcus Cousins. He's 23 compared to DeMarcus Cousins is 26, and the Kings haven't exactly had a lot of luck as far as shooting guards go. But I think if, if you're a Kings fan, that um, as sad as it is to see DeMarcus Cousins go, because he did so much for the Sacramento community, and that speech he gave where he basically teared up uh, saying how much he was going to miss the city, I mean, I think that the fans really appreciate him. But at the same time, um, and I kind of use this analogy on the Drive and Dish podcast, but it, it's like when you're really in love with a girl, but you know that it's not the right fit, that you know it's not going to work, and she ends up leaving you, and how hard it is when she leaves you, but at the end of the day, you know you get to start over. And I feel like as a Kings fan, at least you get to go into this offseason um, knowing that you have some cap space. They use a stretch provision on Matt Barnes, so it looks like you know that'll, that'll free up an extra $4 million, so they're going to spend some of that money. But they've also shed some salary. They brought in Langston Galloway. Um, uh, Tyreek Evans, if he's there throughout the end of the season, we, you know, we'll see whether or not they, they keep him around. But, you know, I think if you're a Kings fan, that at the very least that you get to um, get out from underneath the cloud, and there's something to be said for that. So obviously there's been a lot of scrutiny really pointed at Kings management. You know, Vivek and, and Vladi Divac have especially caught a lot of heat, especially when Vladi Divac comes out and says, oh, by the way, I, I had a better offer on the table two days ago, I just right. didn't do it. And I settled for this. You know, it, it essentially seems like he defeated his own trade before he even made it. So really just the optics have been something else. And, and the Kings just continue to add fuel to this fire of dysfunction. Well, you know, Hey, Kevin, can I jump in? Cause I think there's a reason why that happened. What I think happened. And I think the reason why Vladi said that is because Every CBA, we just had a new one passed this last, you know, for, for this season going forward. So um, every new CBA, there's big changes that have big unintended consequences. And what we saw this time around is that Boogie's agent, Boogie's people, Boogie's management so badly wanted that extra 50 million because he can get that super match for 35% of the cap that they were threatening other teams. Hey, if you trade for us and we're no longer eligible for the super max, we will walk and we'll walk to the Lakers. That's what they were telling every single team. So uh, that's an interesting new consequence. And one that, I mean, I don't think anyone saw coming. I don't think anyone saw a superstar player basically holding their um, terrible management at gunpoint and, you know, saying like, put the money in the bag. But that's essentially what I think was happening um, when Vladi finally could bring Vivek around to trading cousins. So um, I think that that's why he said, oh, well, we had a better trade on the deal. And then, I don't know, I think that instead of just saying it in that press conference, they sort of leaked it afterwards that um, the reason why that deal was not made is because the other team felt threatened by Boogie's agent. Well, and so I'll ask you the follow-up then. The Kings have obviously you know, moved on, and they're going to be pretty terrible for the rest of the season. You look at that roster, and their net rating without DeMarcus Cousins on the floor is, is a negative seven right now. 
so I asked the question, you know, where do the Kings go from here? How do they even begin to this rebuilding process? I honestly haven't even started thinking about it because um, <laughs> they're just so bad now. And normally the rebuilding process is, well, you're bad for a little bit and the draft brings you upwards little by little and then you're good. And then you get bad after you don't get good draft picks and your good players get old. But the Kings are just going to stay bad forever. So, well, how, how many it. how many draft picks? They already have three going into this year's draft, and they're shopping Darren Collins. Well, well, they're shopping no, here's ben the thing, okay? Here's what I want to happen because um, it would be uh, I I think that they would have to like have the draft and in the background be playing that like you know you know what I'm talking about that song whatever. Um, so uh, if <laughs> the Pelicans got the first pick of the draft. Let's just say that were to happen. Uh, it's top three protected, and it would communicate to them, right? Um, and then next, if, if the Sacramento Kings got the second pick in the draft, it would communicate to Philly, <laughs> right? So so even if Sacramento gets the top three pick, it ends up with Philly, right? Um, and then if Philly were to make the playoffs and get the 16th pick and swap it with the Kings, then that would be the only first-round pick that the Kings would get next season is the 16th pick via Philly. Well, and Sacramento can lose their their own pick if they fall out of top 10 because that goes to Chicago. Right. So they might be totally screwed. Right. They might not even I, I think it I think there's a possibility that they could not have one pick <laughs> next year. Well, hopefully they'll get something for Darren Collison and and Ben McLemore then, right? Aaron Aflalo, some somebody's got to give him something. I'm not sure what like if he can get Cousins for that, then maybe he can just dangle like a, a 2025 second rounder and they'll sell on him. Well, if you're getting a guy like Lou Williams who only got a, a late first rounder, I don't know how much you can get for Darren Collison with his domestic violence stuff and Aaron Aflalo right. shoot kind of pretty low for his career. The one thing with with Sacramento, though, is I'm worried if I'm a Sacramento Kings fan because you look at the past drafts that Vivek Ranadive has had and Vladi Divac as well, they constantly miss. And it just seems like they don't know what fits their team because they drafted Willie Cauley-Stein and, and Thomas Robinson, guys consistently at that power forward position even this Giorgio year. Giorgio Papagiannis. Yeah, picking up Papagiannis and, and even Scala Bissier. Uh, in, in late in the, with the 28th pick, I mean, they constantly do not know what fits their team. So I'm not too confident, even with the wealth of picks, if they do end up with Sacramento. Well, I'd like to point out too that uh, that Vivek uh, uh, thought thinks that Buddy Hield has Steph Curry potential. Also, he thought that Nick Stauskas was a, a mix of stage. Right, and Steph. and yeah, and so he thought Stauskas was the the second company Clay Thompson, and that all that also uh, you know it's it's kind of messed up because I think that Vivek, who was one of the Warriors owners, and as a Warriors fan, like you know he was what part of that that ownership crew that that bought the Warriors from um, that saved us <laughs> from the dark ages of the past. You know when Joe Lacob and and crew came in, like Vivek was was part of that, and that now but. Every single decision that he's made so far with the Kings has seemingly been to like try to um, replicate something that happened with the Warriors. You know, like Stauskas. The Bizarro was, Warriors. Yeah, they're, they're the super like they're the uh, what's that what's that uh, TV show that uh, Stranger Things with the like the uh, the underworld or whatever like the upside. Op, the upside down. Yeah, they're the upside down Warriors. And so like you know Stauskas was the upside down Clay, and now Buddy healed like he hasn't learned any. Any lessons? So Buddy Hield is the upside down world. Uh, Boogie's the up upside down JaVale McGee. They had Jimmer oh, Fredette yeah. too. Well, well, I mean, to Jimmer Fredette's credit, he did just score seventy three points in a in a Chinese league game. I mean, you listen, know. I'm I'm still I'm still all in on Jimmer, but only in the Chinese. That league. was magic. Yeah, yeah, that's where he should be. But no, but but with a with a Rana dive, like it's just it's it's just tough, man. Like 
you know, you, I want him to do well. And, you know, especially like as a former owner of the Warriors and as somebody who like, you know, seemingly has, has contributed great amounts of goodwill to the human race and like, you know, has cool technological stuff going on, but just his basketball ideas are just, are just wrong. Every single thing that he's decided upon as as the owner of the kings has has been wrong so i feel like actually in the future he's just just he should just like really like dive deep into what he thinks he should do and then just like do the exact opposite and then his team will be awesome well he he did they did draft isaiah thomas and then and then they just (laughs) okay okay yeah that's something i wanted to bring up too all right what trade is worse, trading Boogie for Buddy Heel the first and Lacey Gallup, whatever, the Boogie trade or the trade they made a couple of years back for um, Isaiah Thomas on their end, the rights to the 57th pick in the upcoming draft and a $7 million trade exception. So Isaiah Thomas for literally nothing is basically Or also, let's throw in the, the drafting Stauskas with the, with the sixth or seventh pick or whatever it was, and then giving him away for absolutely nothing plus the, the, uh, the isn't that what the, isn't the trades, uh, the swap with Philly? That one's stupid, but I think that just like in terms of like giving away to, I mean, d- depending on how you want to rank the NBA's player, you could say with a straight face, Isaiah Thomas is a top 10 NBA player and Boogie Cousins ah. is a top 10 NBA player. Uh, yeah, okay, look, I, mean, I wouldn't say definitely. that. Isaiah is, a, that's a little uh, look, bit. Look, I'm just saying you can say He's definitely a right? two-time all-star. I'll, I'll give you discussion. that. Isaiah is a fantastic player. He's definitely um, not 10, but. Uh, and they got nothing for him. Well, the one thing for Isaiah Thomas, too, is I, I say that one kind of nullifies itself, the fact that he wasn't even able to stay with the Phoenix Suns. So if he stayed with the Suns and was doing it with the Suns, then I think that would be the worst trade. But I think, you know, getting the DeMarcus Cousins trade is just worse on, on, on so many facets, and especially the way that they handled it, too, because, you know, obviously uh, Bram talked about it, too, with the, the Phil Jackson thing is how he's currently handling the Carmelo situation but uh vladi is still handling it poorly i mean he comes out and even says character matters uh in the demarcus cousins trade and obviously we know the whole stuff with boogie apparently bullying nick stauskas but the thing with that is you know you look at darren collison currently on the team was suspended for eight games for domestic violence uh rajon rondo throwing gay slurs to a gay referee still on the team after for the full season and you know saying to boogie and his agent that he was going to be on the team and he wasn't going to get traded. And Boogie even saying, I think last Thursday, that he wants to stay with Sacramento. The fact that, you know, Vladi goes out and trades him and pretty much goes behind his back. I mean, there's a lot there that even Vladi Divac is, you know, counteracting himself. Well, and I think that like saying character matters is a very different thing than actually believing that character matters. And so like, if you really believe that character matters, like you wouldn't put out a letter that says that character matters and like throw shots at, at DeMarcus as you send him out the door, you know, like that's a very classless act. So if character does actually matter, just like take care of your business, deal with your, your, the, the industry in which you're in. And then like, you know, don't say anything and that none of that stuff would make it into the press and we wouldn't be talking about it. But the fact that like they, they say that character matters, it just like, it negates everything that they're trying to do. And I, I, I just like don't trust uh, Vlade to to handle things appropriately at this point. So sw- so I want to switch now to the other side of the coin, and that's the Pelicans. And Jason, I'll start this one with you. The comparison that people are making already before they've even played a game is it's possibly the most intimidating front court since Tim Duncan and David Robinson back in the day. 
Um, you know, regardless, both of these guys can play the five. Both of these guys can play the floor or the four. So you have a, a bit of different flexibility that you can do in terms of the lineups. You imagine Boogie's going to play more of the five and, and Anthony Davis will play more of the four. But regardless of flexibility there. So I guess, you know, obviously a huge boost to the Pelicans. Just how much of a boost to the Pelicans do you think this is? Yeah, that's going to be the interesting question because, you know, obviously they both play inside and outside. So I think the idea that they can, you know, work together fine, you not getting each other's way, I think, is pretty valid, even though some of them could kind of play some of the same territory. I think it'll be interesting to see how, you know, figuring out how the two of them fit, you know, the defensive issues. Neither one is necessarily the most stout defender ever. You know, their their effort waxes and wanes here and there, but they both are, you know, effective inside and outside players. So I think they can you probably make that pretty work. And, you know, Alvin Gentry is certainly a creative offensive coach, but whether he's the right guy to manage you know, the, the, those egos, you know, whether the chemistry personality mix works. Uh, I think we know enough to know that Boogie is a very fire, fiery personality and uh, AD seems a bit more laid back. So whether that blends well or whether that, you know, doesn't blend well, I think there's going to be a lot of interesting questions with the Pelicans. And so, Sean, I'll ask you the same question, you know, initial reaction to the fit. How do you think this is going to work? Well, I think interesting is probably the best word to use is because it's really, you know, can they even gel together? Are they going to be like a 41 and 41 team or they're going to be like a top four team in the West? I think it's really about that gelling and how are they going to work on on the floor together? Because um, like Jason said, they could both do it from the inside and outside. They're both powerhouses, uh, the only two players in the past four years to be averaging 20 points per game and 10 rebounds per game. So it's going to be interesting with guys that you know combined have a, a use of rate rate of 65 percent how they're actually going to be able to use those two together i mean i could, wouldn't even surprised if they have you know those two separated in shifts where you have uh anthony davis and, and demarcus on, on the floor to start the game and then you know you take out one of them and kind of have them uh alternating in and out um it's going to be interesting to see how they work and i, I think it's going to be really interesting um, to see what they do in the offseason because they're not going to have a first-round draft pick, obviously, trading it to Sacramento. So it's it's going to be interesting to see what they do in free agency. And is Anthony Davis and DeMarcus Cousins enough to bring in another free agent? Because I think Drew Holiday is uh, you know, a very good point guard. I think that he's he's going to work well with these two. Uh, but you know, you're going to need shooting from that two and three spot, and you're going to need defense from that two and three spot. And they do have Solomon Hill as well for that 3D, uh, but I don't think that's enough. I mean, obviously, you need some more depth uh, depth on the bench. So I think it's going to be very interesting. I don't know exactly what's going to happen, but I think they can definitely contend for that eight seed uh, with the Nuggets. Well, you talk about that eight seed, and Tim, I'll pose this to you. You know, they're in the mix with Denver and Portland, really, but sitting as of now recording this, only two and a half back of that eight seed. Do you think they're the favorites at this point to jump up the ladder and snag that last spot? I, I don't. I don't think that they're necessarily. Uh, it's. It's. I, I. I think it's a nugget spot to lose. Um, when, when you're integrating talent like that, um, you know, Boogie's a 35 percent usage rate. Uh, it, is that that stuff takes time and, and how we've mentioned it other on other podcasts before, but talking about the Cavs and, and Kyle Korver and how difficult that's been for the Cavaliers to integrate. And in, and you're just talking about Kyle Korver. You aren't talking about a, a boogie cousins. And I mean, if you're the Pelicans, you have 25 games remaining, 15 of which are versus current playoff teams, as opposed to the Nuggets, 26 games remaining 12 versus uh, current playoff teams. Um, you know, they need some help. They, they're definitely going to need some shooting. I think, uh, I don't know if you guys know if Quincy Pondexter is coming back, but I think he'd be a huge help for him. Caspi uh, is heading over from Sacramento in the trade, and I wouldn't be surprised if within a week or two he ends up being the starting 
uh, small forward for them too. Yeah, that was uh, that was uh, like one of the low key parts of the trade that uh, it, it seems like he's going to be a really good fit and frankly happy to to get out of Sacramento. Around him with shooting, he definitely can hit the three ball a little bit. You know, Tim just talked about that adjustment period. Chris, how much? How long do you? I guess do you think that adjustment period is going to take? You know, do you think they can figure it out enough in time to challenge for that eight seed? Do you think they're the favorite? If I'm the Pelicans, or if I'm a Pelicans fan, I almost hope not. Alvin Gentry's all right. I don't think he's the right coach for this team. And, you know, I think if you look at the league um, and this is sort of true about management too, which is um, funny because we've talked a little bit about that. I think there are five coaches who are above the rest of everyone else. And then five coaches who are below the rest of everyone else. And I think Alvin Gentry goes in that middle 20 area. And I, I mean, if I have a front court that looks like Boogie and Anthony Davis, I want one of those top five coaches. I want a better coach, or at least if I get one of the middle coaches, a better fit. Someone like Dave Yeager, who knows how to play around a point guard like Conley, who's a lot like Drew, a power forward like Randolph, you know, compared to Anthony Davis. And then instead of Gasol, you have a passing big like Cousins. Um, I mean, that would be a fantastic fit, even though he isn't, you know, Brad Stevens, Rick Carlisle, Greg Popovich, um, that'd be fine. So uh, I almost hope that I, I hope that they don't make the playoffs and I don't expect them to either. But I mean, if they do, you know, these are this is what happens when you have two of the top five players in the NBA and then Drew Holiday's come on. And he's, you know, maybe a top 10 point guard at this point. Yeah, it's certainly not a, a bad place to be in right now. And, and again, the Pelicans are currently sitting at 11th place. You know, no Sacramento is going to drop. They will have to compete with Portland and Denver. You know, realistically, they're too far back at this point to catch the Thunder or the Grizz for that seven or six seed. But regardless, we're going to be there. And with that, I want to take now a bigger look at the Western Conference as a whole. Um, really, the narrative going into this season was that it's the Warriors to lose, and rightfully so. Sitting atop right now, 47-9, and nine, we know how good this team is. And now that Kevin Durant is becoming a bit more integrated, they're starting to hit that stride. And so, Bram, I'll let you start off as the resident Warriors fan. You know, you know when superstar teams come together, there's this gelling period and before they can really hit the peak of their firepower. So here now at the all-star break at the trade deadline, you know, what have you made of the Warriors season so far? And do you think they have it figured out? I guess there's so many interesting sort of ways to compare this season to last season, you know, and I think last season they had just, they were coming off winning the championship and they had realized that they could set the record for 73 wins. You know, they won like 26 in a row coming out, like out of the gate or whatever it was. And I think that there were a certain, certain players in the locker room, like specifically Draymond Green, who really wanted to set that record. And 73 and nine sounds great until you lose in the finals, you know? So this team is. This team is weathered. This team has gone through a lot, regardless of the fact that they brought on Kevin Durant. Like, obviously, that's that's fantastic. But but it's, it's still the same team. Like, the core of the team is still the same. It's still Kerr, and it's still Curry, and it's still Green, and Clay and Draymond, everybody. I think that there there is something actually humbled about this team that they, you know, they're not trying to go for 74 and 8. You know, even to get to 73 and 9, as crazy as it is, they'd have to win out from like from here. They would literally have to win out. They'd have to win every single game from here until the end of the end of the season to even just match their record from last season, which really shows how crazy that record is. 
And I think that there's something there's something about the team gelling in this way, and there's something about the team, you know, acquiring Durant. And there's something about them sending four all stars to you know to this weekend, and there's something about the way that the season is going is that they realize that the regular they finally realize that the regular season is not very important, and they finally realize you know for them to achieve their their ultimate goal, which is the, is the championship. Like I think them bringing in Durant and like them you know figuring out plays and you know especially them going into OKC, I think that that was a huge growing point for the team and the whole cupcake thing and the whole. Um, strange situation you know when you when you get presented with situations where where you come up against adversity obviously you you bond together if if people have your back and i think that like the okc situation and the whole cupcake situation and the whole westbrook situation inadvertently that was the best thing that the warriors possibly could have gone through because now they know that they're all in it together and now going towards the playoffs and going towards the end of the season I feel like finally, finally, out of coming out of All Star break, like they're finally coalescing into a, a legitimate team, and it's scary. I mean, it's scary. They had, you know, they have the they have the best record in the NBA, and they still haven't quite figured out how to play together. So, like, what happens in like round two versus Rockets or whatever, where they like finally <laughs> figure out their their like peak, or in the finals, or you know, it's just it's it's exciting as a as a Warriors fan because I went through so much just utter garbage like watching such just utter shite from the perspective of a fan but it's also it's also exciting as a basketball fan because I'm excited to see what these guys can do on a on a purely basketball level you know watching curry and durant and green and clay play together is is just it's it's transcendent basketball and it should be you know like those guys owe it to us as fans to play transcendent basketball and if they can actually like achieve that, and if they can actually get to a level that a level of play and a level of um, uh, coexistence that we might not have seen before in the NBA, I think that it will have been worth it. And I, you know, even as a basketball fan, and then obviously primarily as a as a Golden State Warriors fan, I think that um, that's all that we can hope for is just completely beautiful transcendent basketball that just like supersedes anything we've ever seen on the court before. So Sean, I'll ask you the question then kind of similar. Where do you think the Warriors are at at this point of the season and taking a look at the Western Conference as a whole, are there any teams in particular that you think can stop them? Well, I think Bram hit it on, on the head that they really haven't reached their final form. I mean, Katie's playing the lowest amount of minutes he's ever played in a full season and Curry's playing the second lowest amount as, as he has as a starter. So, I mean, they really haven't played that much and together and they really haven't hit their stride. So I think if there's one team that really can, uh, I don't think it's the Spurs because I don't think they have enough firepower on offense. Uh, I think it's truly the Rockets because yeah, I think it's the Rockets too, can, actually. Yeah. I think it's the way that they can fire up three points, uh, three pointers and I, the way they can score. And now the addition to Lou Williams, I think that just makes them so dangerous because, you know, if you're going to beat the Warriors without a guy named LeBron James, you're going to need to score and you're going to need to score a lot. And uh, you know, I think it's going to be you know James Harden, uh, Eric Gordon, Ryan Anderson spreading out that 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 Warriors defense and trying to play their game with them. So I think it's going to be very interesting to see if the Warriors have to face them in the second round and they're not at their full form. I think that's really going to be the biggest thing. Uh, whether it's the Western Conference Finals, second round, uh, if there's any team out west, I think it's truly the Rockets that can give them trouble. 
Well, you just mentioned the Rockets there, and you know we'll kind of talk game planning against the Warriors. You know, both of you guys have said essentially said bombs away, and so Chris, I'll ask you if you're matching up against the Warriors, and you know you really have to attack somebody, or you know you're trying to look to slow this offense down. You know, where do you start if you're trying to find a weakness? I I see how much the Bucks are asking for for uh, Della Vadova, and um, I would you know make like an offshore bank account in Australia put like a few million dollars in it and just tell Della Vidova to like break Steph's kneecaps. On <laughs> uh, that's bad and, though. That's bad. No, well, I mean like yeah. that, like I, and, and, and I think that's the real reason why the Rockets have the upper hand is because um, what we saw last year is catastrophe struck um, over and over and over, whether um, it was the catastrophic decision to put Anderson Varejao in for um, crucial <laughs> game seven minutes or uh, injury in the first round to uh, Steph's knee, or uh, Draymond Green going uh, mano a balls um, to uh, everyone always and getting suspended. <laughs> so, um, like something really bad has to happen, and and that was true last year, and it's even truer this year because now you have Kevin Durant. I mean, last year, if like this year, if Draymond Green is suspended for Game Five or Game Six or whatever. Like, so what? Like, so you'll, you'll start Iggy and, um, Kevin Durant, like whatever, you're still more talented than whoever you're playing against. So in all reality, I'm, I like, don't condone hurting people. I'm, I'm a staunch pacifist. And I, I think that, you know, that that's not the, the way to go to, uh, you know, hire people to break Steph's kneecaps, but like something has to go horribly wrong. If that doesn't happen, then the Warriors are, um, the favorite in a way that no one has ever been the favorite before. Jason, I'll ask you the question then. Do you think it's Warriors versus the field at this point? Or is there anybody, are you on that Houston bandwagon as well? Um, yeah, it's Warriors versus the field. I mean, they're projected at 68 wins right now from 538. They're on pace for the best point differential in NBA history. Um, and they're, as others have said, they're not even really clicking in the way that we expect them to. You know, they've, they've just kind of, you know, kind of getting to the point where, They've started to figure out things, but they still have some time to do it. So um, I don't see anyone else really competing with them. I, you don't want to write, you know, I still have some respect for San Antonio. Obviously, Cleveland is a tough matchup uh, for them. But, you know, I, I would argue last season was a confluence of events that is highly unlikely to be repeated. And I think the Warriors are better now. So I, I think they're just it's it's theirs to lose. Well, so let's switch gears a little bit, you know, as we keep the show moving right now, we'll head over to the Eastern Conference and, you know, immediately we got to start with Cleveland, the team that by all accounts is the favorite to once again head to the finals. LeBron James back in it. We'll get our third rematch of these two teams. It seems like everybody's rooting for it at this point. I know we're all big fans of parody, but at the same time, when you've had series as awesome as the last two have been, it's pretty tough to argue with that. And, and so, Tim, I'll start with you when we're looking at the Cavs. We've heard LeBron James in recent weeks talk about the Cavs need to go out and get a playmaker. Um, he cited their need for a backup point guard. How much of that do you think is LeBron James just talking and trying to keep up with the Warriors and sees them clicking? Or how much of it do you think is an actual genuine need for the Cavs? No, I, I think it's absolutely a, a genuine need for the Cavs for multiple reasons. I mean, for one, they really only have one point guard in, in Kyrie Irving. But for two, LeBron James at his age just shouldn't be leading the league 
in minutes. Um, uh, you know, they, they did get Kyle Korver, who he's not much of a playmaker, but at least he can handle the ball a little bit as opposed to like the majority of their other players. If you're looking at Jefferson, Channing Fry, you know, those are spot up guys. Uh, so, so Kyle Korver does at least give somebody that can handle the ball, that can move around screens a little bit. But I, I think we'd be remiss not to mention that, um, you know, the Cavaliers did just pick up the former number two overall pick from 2011, Derek Williams. You couldn't just go one episode without Derek Williams. Well, I just I think it's it's important that we all recognize um, that they are not only addressing some of their needs, but they're addressing all of their needs. And at this point in life, you just got to feel bad for Derek Williams always being a backup to Kevin Love. No. Oh, I think don't they have three of the first four picks from the 2011 draft? Now they have Kyrie, they have Derek Williams, and they have Tristan Thompson. Uh, yeah, uh, Iman Schumpert too from the same draft. I, I guess then, Chris, I'll ask you. The other news for the Cavs recently is Kevin Love going down with the knee injury. You know, Tim just brought up LeBron James has really been carrying a heavy workload of minutes this year. How do the Cavs go about handling this? And, you know, how much is missing love going to change their game plan for the second half of the season here? Well, I think it validates LeBron's game plan, which is um, win the MVP this season and accept the fact that the Warriors are going to lay a smackdown on you once you get to the finals. Um, I I don't think that anyone in the East is that good. Um I, I think that probably it's like, you know, I, I think that if the Cavs were in the West, they'd still probably not be as good as or I, I think the Rockets are a bigger challenge to the Warriors than than the Cavs are um, at, at this point with the Kevin Love injury. E- even when he comes back, uh, we saw Blake Griffin have a similar procedure and take a few months to look uh, almost almost a little over half a year to look back to the Blake Griffin of old, you hope that Kevin Love's game is a little bit different and that'll translate differently. But I mean, with J.R. Smith and with Kevin Love playing at 60, 65% of their capacity instead of um, last year's final where finals, where pretty much everyone was playing at 500% of their capacity. LeBron is, is playing all of these minutes because for him, the regular season is the only thing that matters because the finals, like at this point, Again, something has to go horribly wrong for the Warriors. And and look, that might happen again. Like, you know, stranger things have happened. Uh, now that Boogie has been traded for Buddy Heald, any, like, all bets are off. Like, I, I, I think I, I live in Texas. I'm happy. I feel like I should go get a weapon to protect myself because, I mean, we live in such a wacky, insane world. Like, someone, I, I mean, I don't know. Maybe I'll get, like, invaded by some foreign country. Like, because the, the world's... Uh, imploding, I think, right now. And I think what LeBron has decided <laughs> is that he's going to go for the MVP. And I think he's in that conversation right now. I think that there's three guys who stand out to me as viable MVP picks. And I I think that he's going to try as hard as possible to make the reality that, that unfolds is, well, LeBron won his MVP probably for the last time in his career. Um, and... Like he just couldn't contend with the Warriors. I, I I think that he wants everyone to look back and be like, well, the Warriors never beat the real Cavaliers and LeBron with any help because uh, even when LeBron was an MVP that one season, you know, he had two out of five starters injured and like that wasn't his fault. And then uh, next season, maybe come back with the banana boat, maybe trade Kevin Love. I don't know. But uh, right now I'm just like if I'm the Warriors, I'm not all that threatened. Sean, I'll ask you, is there a playmaker out there do you think the Cavs can target? And, you know, to Chris's point, 
is it doom and gloom for the Cavs? Is there any way they can keep up in your mind? Well, to be honest, I, I think I disagree com- like completely with with Chris, and, and and nothing wrong with you said. We'll fight you, said, Chris. I will fight you. Uh, <laughs> no, but I mean, you got to look back at that finals, and I, I know obviously Game Five and the Draymond Green suspension was was something that was a killer. But still, LeBron took over that last game, and and, and so did Kyrie. I mean, Kyrie in those last three games, and LeBron in those last three games was ridiculous. And the thing with Kevin Love, I mean, it's a minor surgery. It's, it's He's going to be back in six weeks. And the one thing, too, is he's not going to have trouble in those first two rounds, and he'll be able to get acclimated back into you know Cavs mode where he's just sitting out there shooting threes. But he's been a little bit more uh, involved in, in the offense. But still, you look at Kyle Korver and, and what he's done so far, I mean, he's on pace right now to have one of the best three-point shooting, uh, I mean, outside of any Steph season, one of the best three-point shooting percentage-wise uh, <laughs> in, in, in the season, I mean, in any season. He's on pace to shoot 244 threes with the Cavs this year, uh, and he's hitting a percentage of 51.5%. Only Steve Kerr and Legler have done that, uh, both at 51 and 52 pers- uh, respectively, and he's only doing this with 30 games less than those guys. I mean, Kyle Korver adds a different dimension. He's getting open shots here. Derek Williams, like uh, Tim mentioned, I mean, he's putting up his best numbers. I know it's only been four games, uh, but he's still putting up his best numbers, at least percentage wise. I look at the the Cavs and they're going to have an easy first two rounds, I think, uh, in the East out there. And and then it's going to really come down to the Eastern Conference Finals. And we thought the same thing, at least over here at Most Valuable Podcast, that the West, whoever came out of the West, was going to dominate the uh, the finals. And then when the Warriors did get out to their 3-1 lead, we thought it was completely over. But I really it's it's it, we've seen LeBron come in so many times in seven straight finals. I mean, it's it's so hard to count him out. And just with the ability of what he can do, I think really it's just the minutes that might be the only thing that breaks his back. The argument that LeBron is is LeBron and that he's one of the best players who have ever played the game of basketball, maybe the best, depending <laughs> on uh, how you want to break that down. I get it. I feel you. I understand. Did you seriously just come at me with, well, <laughs> look at Kyle Korver, 36-year-old Kyle Korver, and how about that Derek Williams? Like, are you kidding me? The, the Warriors just added Kevin Durant. Completely understand that, but it just still, I mean, you have Kevin Durant, you have Klay Thompson, you have Steph, but we also saw Steph break down in the finals last year. We don't know if he's going to break down. You never saw LeBron break down, and, you know, Kyle Korver's 36 years old, but he's still hitting threes like it's nothing, and he's getting wide-open shots. And the one thing, too, is... The the Cavs have size. I mean, K Love and Tristan Thompson. Who's going to be able to counteract that? I don't trust Zaza Pachulia, and I don't trust uh, I don't trust a, a small lineup of uh, Kevin Durant and Draymond Green to stop both Tristan Thompson and K Love defensively. So I know they'll be able to put up points offensively, but you look at the finals last year, they were still able to do this. Uh, I, I know Kevin Durant's not on the team, but still, they were still able to do what they did to the Warriors. I think they can replicate something like that. Here's what I think is going to happen, right? Is I think that the the Cavaliers last year won basically sneakily because they decided we're going to make Harrison Barnes win this by on defense helping off of him so much that he's wide open in the corner and force him to take those shots and then just covering everyone else um, you know, as, as much as possible and, and hedging and Harrison Barnes just whiffed on corner three after corner three after corner three. So, uh, I trust Steph, I trust clay, I trust, um, Draymond and I trust KD. So the number five guy, you know, I, I wouldn't describe it as catastrophic. If Iggy took a step back, he's starting to get old. I don't expect it, but if that were to happen, I mean, guess who per 36 minutes has the highest BPM on this roster. 
It's JaVale McGee, okay? You can't leave JaVale McGee wide open because what happens <laughs> is he gets like wide open lobs. And I just think that that offense is better than the Cavs offense could be. And then like defense, like, yeah, they'll, they'll exploit JaVale McGee. But if I'm, if I'm the Warriors, I just say JaVale, just like don't foul Kyrie Irving during like the last couple of minutes of the game. And it's fine. Like you'll out, you'll still outscore the Cavs and JaVale will get, you know, a point every game down because you can just not cover JaVale at the basket. It's too easy at that point. I like your thinking. I, I like where you're going with that. It, ma- it makes me warm and happy inside listening to that. So well, thank you. The one final up, Chris, and, and, and trust me, I I have the uh, the Warriors in my favor right now, and I'm just saying the Cavs are in my mind. You still can't count them out. And the one thing too, I mean, Kevin Durant, we haven't seen him come out at least in the po- postseason, at least from a three point standpoint. I mean, he hasn't shot over. 37 percent since 2011 last year he shot only 28 percent so I mean I don't know how much he will be able to translate that three-point game into the postseason I know they were in the finals before but they also had West uh, Westbrook and, and Harden and all that and I know obviously this team's much better than that that, that OKC team but still I mean uh, Harrison Barnes shot a better three-point percentage than than Kevin Durant last year in in, in the in the postseason and I think it's just going to be something that you know you brought up Harrison Barnes um, KD in high pressure pressure situations, he's not a guy like I mean, he's not a guy like MJ where where he's never gone to a game seven. I mean, he's not a guy that that you know is is a huge closer. So I mean, I'm I'm really looking to, for someone to be that huge closer because we couldn't see Steph do it last year. We couldn't see uh, Clay do it at least in the finals. We obviously saw do it, him do it against OKC when he put up like 39 points or whatever that was. Um, you know, it, it's something that I don't know if the Warriors will have that that clutch. That, that clutch moment when they need it. Hmm. Well, and so I want to bring it back a little bit, just go back to the Eastern Conference. And, and Jason, I'll ask you this, and then I'll open it up to everybody else. You know, we've we've all kind of said here that the Cavs are the presumptive favorite. In that second tier right now, you've got Toronto with the Ibaka trade, obviously shoring up a little bit to compete. You've got Boston in the mix. You've got Washington in the mix. Is there anybody you think can knock off Cleveland or that matches up really well with Cleveland? I think Boston is the most talented, but they do not match up particularly well with um, Cleveland. They, their rebounding is not good. Um, I think they can. Cleveland can shut down Isaiah Thomas fairly well. That's not a good matchup. The Wizards are interesting. We haven't seen that in the playoffs. I do think that the combination of Wall and Beal is um, an interesting challenge for the Cavs. Um, it would be hard to have LeBron, you know, contain one of those guys. And it's kind of a, a challenge, obviously, for Kyrie, who's defensively limited. But I think Wall is an especially tough challenge. So I don't think any of the three particularly have a good shot. I do think Washington maybe is the most interesting. I think Toronto helped itself a little bit with Serge Ibaka, but they would still need help to beat the Cavs in a playoff series. I do think that the Wizards are really interesting um team to possibly challenge the Cavs and I mean their 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 starters are averaging like what 86 points a game and their bench is only averaging 20 uh there were all those rumors going around that uh the Wizards were looking for some scoring and possibly Lou Will would be that piece I do think that if the Wizards are able to add a legitimate score off the bench that could be huge help to them but I also uh, while the Raptors have fallen recently I, I do think that if it works out that the Serge Ibaka trade could really pay dividends to him, I mean, yeah, you have a, you have a, a backcourt, one of the best backcourts in the NBA. 
Uh, Damari Carroll starting to look a little bit better. Um, Serge Ibaka, Serge Ibaka can shut down Kevin Love. Um, I, I don't see any reason why that can't be a solid six-game series, seven-game series, possibly. And, I mean, a lot of basketball has to do with which way the ball bounces. I mean, look at that Ray Allen shot. That wouldn't have happened if uh, if, if the ball wouldn't have bounced straight into Bosch's hands. Yeah, I think I agree with you with the Raptors, uh, uh, Tim, because, I mean, you look at ad- the addition of Ibaka, and if Damari Carroll can do what he did uh, against LeBron back in Atlanta, I think that's going to be a-, a huge thing, too, because if he can come back to where he was defensively, that's going to at least slow down LeBron James. You're not going to be able to stop him, but at least slow him down. And then if you look at that Toronto series last year in the playoffs against the Cavs, uh, K-Love shot 44% from three, and even Channing Fry off the bench, he shot 58% from three, so surge being that defender and how, how good of a defender he can be, uh, I think it's going to be something that that might be the big addition to at least push it to a, a more competitive six games or a more competitive even seven games. If you if you loved me for my pro Warriors takes before, then you're gonna <laughs> you're really gonna love me now. Um, a more realistic and constructive discussion to have about strategic things that Eastern Conference teams can do to upset the Cavs. I think there's a more constructive conversation to have about that than there is to have about any of those Eastern conference teams, then making it to the finals and beating the warriors. So um, yeah, like the warrior, uh, the wizards have a weak bench that matters during the regular season. Doesn't matter as much during the postseason. Um, I Otto Porter this year has like, has been a top 15 player in the Eastern conference. And then of course, Bradley Beal, John wall are fantastic and uh, match up really, really well. I think with uh, the, the Cavs uh, backcourt. And then you look at Toronto yeah, I, I really like the Ibaka edition because uh, Valanchunas Ibaka does make sense for the Cavs against other players that play smaller than the Cavs do. I really like uh, coming off the bench or coming off the bench, Patrick Patterson and then Ibaka playing the five and spreading the floor. I think that that's a really interesting look. They've got a lot of depth, but then you just get to the finals and get slaughtered. So like unless something crazy goes wrong or the ball bounces a particular way. Well, and so I'll ask you guys the question is, you know, we begin to wind things down here a little bit. Um, We've had a little bit of discussion of the MVP race, and really this is one of the more contested ones in recent years. You know, the early narrative at the beginning of the season was now that Russell Westbrook is on his own team, that he's going to go crazy and put up all these ridiculous numbers, and that's been mostly true. You also have James Harden, who's been putting up video game numbers. I mean, that triple-double line where he had over 50 points is still just one of the most ridiculous lines I've ever seen. You know, you heard Chris earlier mention LeBron James in the fo- in the mix as well. He's really gunning for it. Kevin Durant, too, out of sheer efficiency. So, you know, I, I want to go down the line. So, I guess, Tim, I'll start with you. You know, if you're casting an MVP vote today, who are you taking? This is hard. Uh, Russell Westbrook this season, 31 points, 10 assists, 10.5 rebounds with a 29.5 PER and an 8.0 VORP. Uh, James Harden, 29 points, 11 assists, 8 boards, 27.6 PER with a 6.5 VORP. Um, I mean, those numbers are so similar, but if you're going just by sheer numbers, then the nod would have to go to Russell Westbrook. Um, I, but at, at the end of the day, and, and Kevin, uh, we had this discussion on the Drive and Dish podcast, is that I do feel like at a certain point in time that we should be giving this award to the best player um, in basketball, and, and that player is LeBron James, and uh, I, I think he's had one <clears throat> hell of a season, and it's it's hard to argue. It's the same concept, like why doesn't Popovich get coach of the year every single year? There's just 
while these two guys are absolutely killing it and they are going, one of them is going to get it, I think that we should seriously consider LeBron James for this. He is the best player in basketball. Chris, how about you? Do you agree with that take? You know, you kind of argued with him earlier, or you kind of argued earlier that LeBron was really going to be competing for this. You know, do you think this is his award to lose? I don't think it's anyone's award to lose. I, I, I think there are some like really good contestants. And if I, if I had to guess, it's, it's probably either going to be Harden or Westbrook, but in my mind, and I think we all know here that my decision on this is what actually matters, not what um, the NBA decides is the MVP. Uh, in my mind, the three guys going for the MVP right now are LeBron, Harden, and Kawhi Leonard. Really? No Westbrook? Um, well, I, it's just like with Westbrook, you know, I, I end up having the same conversation with everyone. I, I say, well, uh, replace um, Westbrook with a, a league average starting point guard, say Drew Holiday. How good is this team? You know, I, I think their point differential is, is that of about a 40-win team. Um, I think that if you replace Drew Holiday, you have to change your strategy a lot. I mean, it, it would help just just for the simple fact that Drew Holiday like hits his threes and is more of a threat from distance. So, you know, Andre Roberson is less of an offensive liability. You have more floor spreading. I, I, I just think that like a team with Drew Holiday, Steven Adams and Ed's Cantor coming off the bench unless he broke his hand on a chair. Um, Andre Roberson is one of the best defensive wings in the game. Oladipo is no slouch. They have depth. They have some talent. And like maybe they would be a 35-win team uh, after you adjust for all the differences instead of a 40-win team. And in terms of differential, the Thunder have gotten lucky in some late-game situations. Meanwhile, we, we've seen what happens when you take LeBron off of a team. The Cavs fall apart. <laughs> the Heat fell apart, didn't make the playoffs after being in the finals. Um, and, uh, I mean, if you take Harden away or re replace Harden with like a league average point guard, like drew drew holiday instead, I think they wouldn't be all that great. Um, and, uh, Kawhi Leonard, meanwhile, and I'm leaning towards Kawhi Leonard, the Spurs are number one in defense. And I think everyone remembers this off season. Well, you know, Pau Gasol's coming in. He's no Tim Duncan. That's not how the, the Spurs play defense. Like they cut the court in half and say, okay, Kawhi. Uh, no one's going to make anything from whichever side you're on. So if you're strong side, then no one's going to make anything over there. And then weak side, we can use our old guys to cover half the terrain essentially and, and help. And um, they have had the best defense and it is, you know, probably 60% Kawhi and then 90% Kawhi and Daniel, uh, Danny Green, I think combined. So, uh, and then, they have the number five offense, and that's what really is the kicker for me. I mean, the Spurs having the number five offense, given their roster, given the fact that they take more mid-range jump shots than anyone else in the league, uh, given the fact that Pau Gasol is now injured and they've only stepped up their game on that end. Kawhi Leonard, to me, you know, he's starting to average like 30 points a game because he has to, and that was always the question about him, right? It's like, yeah, well, he's the best two-way player in the league. <laughs> No arguments here uh, on offense. Could he carry a team? Hell yeah, he can. He's carrying the second best team in the NBA right now. So Kawhi Leonard to me, really compelling case. So Bram, you have your ballot. You're you're in the proverbial voting booth, if you will. Who are you checking on the box? I'm kind of going going rogue and, and voting Adam Silver. I think that the way that <laughs> the way that Adam Silver dealt dealt with it. The Charles Oakley situation and that horrible show of a situation that involved the New York Knicks. Uh, no, but for real, like, I wish that it wasn't just players. I wish that the MVP, MVP could be Adam Silver because I think he actually deserves it. But if we actually do have to obviously do players, um, 
Right now, I mean, I as much as it pains me, I, I think I'm going Harden. Yeah, it really is like this is one of the more ridiculous MVP rate. You know, a few years ago when it was Steph who won and he just beat Al Harden, it it was one of those like really close votes where I really couldn't tell. But, you know, with this one, there's just so many legitimate candidates and even guys that we're not talking about as much. But, yeah, Adam Silver is amazing. And even going back to just how he handled the Donald Sterling situation. Totally. Yeah, totally. He, He really is the real MVP of all of this. Uh, well, Jason. I, I, I think the MVP is is the is the league itself. Like, <clears throat> you know, the the NBA has structured itself in such a way that they're they're making a crazy amount of money, and they're they're structured in such a way that like they're gonna be good for a while, and you know they don't have any huge um, you know black eyes or or like things that will work against them in the future, and I, I think that they're they're being extremely smart about the way that they approach the business and their and their personal lives. And but that being said, so obviously we can't, we can't just say like, oh, yeah, the NBA should be the, the MVP of the NBA season. But so as far as it, but as far as uh, teams go, yeah, at that, you know, as much as it pains me, like I said, I, I think it has to be Harden. So we've got one vote LeBron, one vote Kawhi Leonard, one vote James Harden. Jason, who do you got? Well, that's a really tough decision. Um you know, I would lean toward I, I was going to lean toward Kawhi Leonard as well. I mean, I think uh, 50, 40, 90 season, he's very close to that. 31 percent usage. Uh, he's in, I believe, in the top 10 in scoring around 25 points a game. Second in PER, third in winters for 48 and eighth in box plus minus. And I think of the main candidates, you know, Harden, Russ, LeBron, maybe KD. I think he's by far the best defensive player, and we talked about his defensive impact on the uh, Spurs and what a, you know how they've played with him on there. I am leaning toward him, but I think we have you know four or five worthy candidates, and it's pretty close to a toss-up for me. And then, so Sean, last but not least, I'll ask you the question. You got another one for Kwai there. Do we have one vote for Russ, or are you going to stick with the trend going against him? Well, I think Chris made a, a perfect argument for Kawhi Leonard, but the thing I think goes against him is just the fact that the Spurs have been so great and people just take it for advantage. It's just kind of like with the, the Patriots and the NFL, like, all right, the Spurs are going to be here. Uh, I, I think if you take Russ off of OKC, they're not a playoff team. I don't think they're going to be in that seventh spot. Russ has done something that you know no one's done since 1961, 1962, if he keeps this up. I think it's truly, uh, since it is like a stat-driven league and people do look at the stats and people look at records, um, I think people see the impact that Russ has on OKC. I think people have, see the impact that James Harden has on on, on, uh, on Houston. So I think those it's really between those two, uh, just because of the stats that they're putting up. I mean, Harden has not had a game without seven assists. So it's either seven assists or, or, or more for, for Harden. And then obviously Russ averaging a triple-double. Uh, I think in the end, it will most likely go to uh, Russ because of, I mean, if you're going to be marketing to players, I mean, you're going to be marketing this to uh, creating the story of, you know, without KD, Russ is going to be the MVP. And, and I think media members are going to look for that as well. You know, without KD on the team, Russ was able to bring an MVP to to OKC. And then as well as the first player to average a triple-double since Oscar Robinson uh, since 1961, 1962. So I think, I think uh, it's the storyline and the stats that might actually end up winning uh, Russell Westbrook uh, the MVP because I don't think he's truly the most valuable player. Like like Chris said, and, and his argument for uh, Kawhi Leonard uh, was great. I think I think it's going to be ending ending up being. Uh, Russ, because he is so marketable. Great minds think alike <laughs> is what we say around here. And, and you know, Bram said it best a little bit ago. The league certainly healthier than ever. You know, so many great storylines. 
the MVP race is going to be fantastic. The playoffs are shaping up to be a lot of fun as well. You know, just like this roundtable, again, we want to thank everyone for joining us here on the Blog Talk Midseason All-Star. You know, I, I almost called it Midseason Recap 2 Electric Boogaloo, but I didn't want to, uh, you know, make that reference. But I do want to thank all of these gentlemen for joining us tonight. My name is Kevin Rafuse. I am the host of the Drive and Dish NBA podcast. Follow the podcast on Twitter at Drive and Dish NBA. You can follow me on Twitter at at Refuse to Lose. Follow my co-host, Tim Tompkins, of the Driving Dish NBA podcast. Also, make sure you check out the Solar Panel, a Phoenix Suns podcast that's part of the Almighty Baller Podcast Network. Follow Tim on Twitter at Radio Tim NBA. Chris Axman, he's the host of the Almighty Ball and NBA show, founder of the Almighty Baller Podcast Network at AlmightyBaller.com. Make sure you follow him on Twitter at Almighty Ballin'. Jason Mann, make sure you check out the Over and Back Classic NBA podcast, as well as the Step back on fansided.com follow him on twitter at jason man ohioan bram kinchelow goldenstateofmind.com check out his golden state of mindcast here on blog talk radio his twitter is bram kinchelow make sure you follow him there and last but not least again sean anderson he's repping the fast break podcast also check out mostvaluablepodcast.com. Yo, gentlemen, this is a lot of fun, and we also want to give a shout out to Jay Soderberg and the Blog Talk Radio team for you know making all of this possible and really getting the ball rolling on this roundtable. And um, you know, I still we got a few weeks left, but I'm smelling an end of season roundtable in a few weeks as well. I, I Sounds just, great. I, I don't I don't really care about the end of the season roundtable. I, I I simply just want to watch the first Pelicans game. <laughs> yeah, me too. Either way, must see television, the boogie and the brow. <laughs>